Hi, this is Judy with another podcast, and I'm here with um, Anthony Sana, my magical, mystical marketing man, <laughs> who's going to interview me and ask me questions and get the ball rolling on this. How are you doing today, Judy? I'm good. It's a beautiful, hot summer day. And today we are talking about um, spoiling. The, the whole issue around spoiling is, is sort of obsessive in our culture. And the reason that I wanted to talk about it now, with being summer, is that a lot of people have family visiting. Um, and they have young children or babies. And if um, what people tell me, many, many moms tell me, is that they're trying really hard to be very responsive to their babies and their children, and they're getting a lot of flack from their relatives. Around, you pick that child up too much. You're spoiling that child. That child's going to be a spoiled brat. Or you're, don't, don't cry. Don't pick the baby up just because he's crying. It's like if you keep doing that, it's going to spoil the baby. So there's this terminology called spoiling the baby, which is very prevalent in our culture and really... It's very scary for parents to hear that. They go, oh, my God, am I really spoiling this child? So I just wanted to look at what that means and how do we actually spoil children if one does. Just before we came to the mics here, Judy and I were out in her yard <laughs> admiring the, the garden. And uh, she introduced me from a distance anyways to one of your neighbor's kids mm-hmm. who uh, looked like he was uh, far from being spoiled. <laughs> yeah. He was just hanging out in the garden. Talking to the plants. <laughs> and the bugs and the critters and that sort of thing. And I thought that was a kind of a... An interesting opposite to being spoiled, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Would you say? I, I could say that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I guess my uh, my idea of bringing up uh, your neighbor's kid in the garden, uh, it didn't seem like he was being told what to do. No. Or how to behave. He was just sort of being a kid all by himself. He was just being a kid all by himself and, and having a wonderful time and being allowed to discover his world. And I have to say, earlier in the day, he was out front with a bunch of people from my townhouse development sitting on his dad's lap, all snuggled up. And being, and he's just around four, I guess, maybe three and a half, four, and being bounced on his dad's knee and playing around and having a great time with him and getting tons of love and support and nurturing. And then his, his father went off with his older brother and, you know, here was the little guy left to his own devices happily and playing in the garden and I'm sure talking to the bugs. <laughs> yeah. And, but he had that, that nurturing, that cuddling, all that stuff. People say, oh, don't spoil your three-year-old and keeping him on your lap like that. But that's what sort of set him up for the day to feel good. So what do you think it is that uh, that prompts someone to actually, um, like, I, I'm going to assume, is it grandma telling mom what she should be doing better with her kids? It's often generational. Okay. Where does that actually come from? I mean, did mom, uh, sorry, does grandma think that she didn't do a good enough job and she's going to try to tell her daughter how to do a better one? Well, I can't quite get into her head, <laughs> into, the, into the older generation's head, but... It was certainly the mantra that, you know, people of, you know, raising kids of my generation, I mean, my generation being, when I was raising my kids, were given a lot of messages about not picking up children and that you do spoil them. And because they think it's the right thing to do. To, not, s- to not pick them up. To not, to not be so responsive to them that, um, that they think you're going to create, you know, a monster is the word that I often hear people say about children who are need, you know very needy and need a lot of attention and get a lot of attention hmm. um and i was you know one of the things that i would like to you know people to say that when because there is a term that's used a lot that, oh he just wants attention or she just wants attention that's why she's crying or that's why they're doing that or that's why they're throwing because they just want attention from you and i think if you take the word attention away and you put in the word connection it's a very different feeling and a very different kind of relationship and and a lot of times children are crying. Well, they're almost always always crying because they're upset 
about something and distressed about something, and the parent or the significant other in their life uh, is the one who can help them settle down from their upset. So there is, you can call that they want attention and see that as really negative, or you can say they want connection because they value you and love you and need you to help them get through this. Um, so I think that the, the, the terminology, and, the, and people use that with newborns. They say, oh, they just want attention. <laughs> they, newborns have no capacity to think about, oh, if I do this, I'll get attention. They, they don't even think like that. They don't even know they exist. Um, but, and, and older babies as well. Like there's just, they just don't have the capacity um, to manipulate, which everybody says. If you just take all those negative words out, oh, they're just manipulating you, and put in, oh, they just want connection with you. So is there a, I don't know, an author or a doctor or somebody who came up with this idea that attention-getting kids is bad? It's so deeply embedded in the culture. So deep. I was just on a sidetrack, but it was really interesting because I was reading last night and this morning um, about the child-rearing antecedents to the performance of people in the political realm. (laughs) Does that make sense? Okay. (laughs) Basically, child-rearing and its impact on politics. And I was reading a lot of stuff about the child-rearing manuals of Nazi Germany. And one of the things that was told to parents was very, do not pick up a crying child. Put your child in another room. Put your baby in another room. Do not respond to them in the middle of the night. Let them become independent and tough. Like that was how people were supposed to raise their children to make them fit into their nice little Nazi world. Um, Wow. And there was tremendous physical abuse, tremendous um, and... Babies were being swaddled really, really tightly so they wouldn't move and they wouldn't cause any problems. And they often weren't changed. They were like lying in a dirty diaper for a long time. And this is what parents were told, that this is how you raise a good citizen. Um, now, that's that's this kind of parenting taken to an extreme. Now, I don't know how much you know about history, but I mean, was that sort of, that sort of idea being uh, put out there? Was mm-hmm. that based on how... Um, was that a new idea, saying, like, this is a new way to raise kids? No. Or was this, the, no. this idea of, uh, for lack of a better word, repression mm-hmm. of kids, of their movement? I mean, I can't imagine swaddling your child so tight that they can't move. Right. Um, was that done to the people who wrote that book in the first place? Well, that's that's what, there's this, there's this field called psychohistory, which is not considered particularly scientific, but I find really fascinating. And they look at the childhoods of some of the famous figures in history, especially the most violent ones mm-hmm. and the people who've caused the most problems in the world, who are just individual babies who grew up to be these horrible, tyrannical people. Like each baby, each baby is really important. Yeah. <laughs> like each baby could make a huge difference in the world. So I think people need to think about that. But, you know, what is this, what is common in the backgrounds of these people is very abusive child rearing and a total lack of nurturing and constantly being put down and insulted and demeaned and shamed over and over and over again. And they, you know, unless they went into psychotherapy or something, or they lived today where you have all these options for changing who you are, they would just continue on that path and they'd become the bullies and they'd become the, you know, the powerful ones and the violent ones. And eventually they, you know, become really, I mean, they grow up to be these horrible people in history. Yeah, wow. I'm kind of curious to see how Donald Trump was raised. I would say not very well. I mean, I just look at him and I see a man who has a complete lack of capacity for for empathy or compassion or even logical thinking, Hmm. um, which are all directly related to nurturing in early childhood. 
um, there's so much research now on brain development and the more nurturing young children get and babies get, the more their brains develop intellectually and cognitively as well because they aren't, their brains aren't being overrun by stress hormones. And um, the whole development of empathy and compassion is, again, directly related to the amount of nurturing. So, so what does it mean for a child, baby, um, to actually want that connection? What actually happens when they get it? Their whole system relaxes. Hmm. They're, they're capable of, I mean, it doesn't, like you can't always comfort a crying baby. I mean, sometimes just all this stuff's going on and, and we can get into that later, but they still, there's, there's some research that if you are comforting a distressed baby, their stress centers do calm down, even if they continue to cry because they're being comforted and held. And, you know, the more a baby is comforted, the more alert they can be and the more they can see what's going on in the world. And they just get a sense of of, of trust and their own capacity. And well, I, I mean, it's sort of everything good in the world. Well, you know, <laughs> as you say that, it makes me think of how um, times in my life, either being upset and being comforted mm-hmm. uh, and still being upset while mm-hmm. being comforted, uh, there's something, I don't know, delicious about that. It's totally delicious. You know, um, or being the person who's crying and having somebody hold me mm-hmm. or the other way around, you know, as I've, as I've gotten older, I guess I've sort of lost what that means for a child. Mm-hmm. And children have very, f- I mean, people talk about self-soothing all the time. They have very few tricks up their sleeve for self-soothing. You know, we could do all kinds of things, which some of which are not very healthy. You know, we can go and binge on a, you know, a liter of chocolate ice cream or um, we'll drink alcohol or we'll smoke pot or we'll, you know, the other end of that is we'll beat somebody up, we'll bully somebody, we'll we'll take it out on other people. That's the other side of that, um, which doesn't really soothe you, but it just gets out a lot of those feelings. And it's interesting when you when you think about people being comforted that when it, if you're seeing somebody who's just gone through a really difficult time, if they had they've lost somebody that they love or they've had a breakup or whatever, as soon as you hug them, their tears start to flow. Mm. Again. It, like it, it, it elicits a response. It elicits the grief response and the hurt response, but they're in your arms because you're hugging them. So there's a safety, and it's just their whole body kind of relaxes into the into the grieving again. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, they feel good or they wouldn't be holding you, and sometimes it's hard to let go because they don't want to let go. And it's the same thing for a child. They, you know, they, they can still be crying and just hugging onto you, but they will eventually get comforted and the word safety comes to mind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know feeling totally safe or held by somebody yes um makes that possible Mm -hmm. to actually have that grieving experience or have that kind of upset or or, or whatever it is and as as that relates to uh, a child i would think that feeling safe with their parent is probably a little bit more important than feeling isolated yes (laughs) in fact is one of the you know the cornerstones of attachment is the sense of safety and security that a child feels and and when you know, and a lot of times it's, it is totally ideological. Like we were given the idea that you do not respond um, because you are quote spoiling the child. Um, so you know, you are you are their source of safety, but you're turning away from them in their in their moment of need is very very confusing for them. And you know, I think that the the, the difficulty comes for a lot of people is that you know sometimes a, a child is just annoyed, and it's okay for them to be annoyed. And you can say, this is how you deal with being annoyed. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. We can find other things for you to do. We can think about when we can do what you want to do another time. Um, whatever. You can, there's all kinds of ways to deal with the annoyance, which is very different than being distressed and right. really upset. Right. 
Um, so I think where, where the spoiling comes in, if you can use that word, and it's mostly when you really spoil a child is you're taking away their capacity for coping skills when they're, it's age appropriate for them to get it. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so. I mean, if, if, if um, you know, through the, through development from uh, baby to toddler to kids as they get older, to be able to see how they experience the world, I think mm-hmm. is important for a parent to realize that, that mm-hmm. they're not there, you know, conniving and conspiring. No. They're just there to, um, to grow. They are just there to grow, you know? Yeah. And it, I, I guess it, what you, if I understand you right, it's up for us to sort of realize the limits of their capacity. Yeah. Limits of their capacity. And then also to recognize their capacity. Hmm. So, you know, if, you know, I think if, if a parent is really tuned into their, to their baby, They'll know that if you know a baby wants something and they're busy cooking, they can say at some point you can just turn to the baby and say, "It's okay, I'll be there in a minute. It's okay, you can wait. I'll be okay. You'll be okay. Don't worry, I'll be there in a minute." Just reassuring them from afar, you know, from the other side of the kitchen or whatever, and they can wait a little bit till you get there. Mm-hmm. It's it gets to the point of quote spoiling when the baby reaches that point where they do have the capacity to wait a little bit, and you never let them wait a little bit. Okay, or if a child's to, trying to reach for something and they can't reach it right away and they get upset, and you go, "It's okay, it's okay. Here, try again, try again." Or maybe you move it a touch bit closer, right? So they get some success with it. But you give them that opportunity of trying to do something, trying to accomplish something, and they actually accomplish it. The spoiling comes in when you take away that capacity. When you just give the kid whatever it is they want for. Yeah, whatever you know, and it's and it, and and that's you know that's a real issue as well. And it's not so much that kids turn out spoiled when you do that; they turn out kind of out of control. Hmm. because they don't develop their inner capacity. I'm, I'm going all over the map on this one, I know. Um, being responsive is not the same as being permissive, is what I'm trying to say. If the idea of spoiling a child is um, uh, doting on them and paying attention to them and uh, giving them everything they want the instant that they want it, what happens to a kid that actually is paid attention to that way versus a kid that isn't? Well, this, let me let me take that apart a bit. It's it, it's an age dependent too, thing too, right? I okay. mean, babies basically need like be, under six months. Babies mm-hmm. need really quick responsiveness. Okay, they have no capacity. Right. You know, as they get older and they start being interested in the world, um, they can wait a little bit longer. Um, as the it, it's an it's a developmental thing. And you just, if you, again, if you're in tune with your child, you'll see where that capacity comes from. Um, one of the books that a lot of parents read, and I think it's quite wonderful, is a book called Wonder Weeks. And it talks about the developmental changes um, that happen in babies. And it's, it's quite wonderful because it just talks about as children are changing, going through developmental changes, they kind of regress. They cry more. They cling more. They need you more. They want more attention. Their eating gets fussy. They start sleeping less. And this just periodically happens all the time. It's not because they're trying to manipulate you or control you. It's just that they're changing completely. And who they are is a different person in in the course of a few weeks. If that happened to us, if we suddenly woke up and we had wings, we'd be a little freaked out. (laughs) Like, whoa, my world's really different. So that for them, you know, to to suddenly get the capacity to move their feet or to move their hands or to see that there's a repetition and there's a pattern in things is a whole new world for them. And parents get really upset because they think the babies are being fussy just to manipulate them. That's not what's what's going on. They're just, they just really need you to help them through this difficult time. So responding to that kind of distress never 
quote, spoils. It's like helping the baby get through a kind of crisis time mm. for them. Um, it's when they're through that time and they're kind of calmed down and they experience a bit of frustration. You can just support them through their frustration rather than solving it for them right away. It's a kind of a fine line. Um, but I think you know, the major thing is when it's that responsiveness, just being tuned into your baby, watching them. And you can tell, you can really tell when they can wait a couple of minutes or not. And if, they, if you see that they can't wait a couple of minutes, but you think they should wait a couple of minutes, that they really can't, they can't do anything about it, then you're just not responding to them, which is a different thing. Again, you can't do that all the time. If you have three other kids running around the house, <laughs> you know, there's a limit to what you can do. Sure. Um, but it's sort of a, it's, it's a headset. And I think the problem with the term spoiling is that if somebody has that in the back of their mind, that they're spoiling their child, it really hampers their in, intuitive responsiveness. Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go to them now. Oh, they're trying to manipulate. Oh, I'm, I'm turning out a spoiled brat. And when, when you do, the, the way you do turn out a spoiled brat is uh, two ways. One is letting them do whatever, whenever. And as I said, taking away their, their sense of agency, their capacity to make things happen and do things because you do everything for them rather than letting them explore and discover their own capacity. And, and also, a lot of kids who are really not responded to turn out to be very um, self-centered and very insensitive and out of control because they just feel so crappy inside hmm. about who they are. I'm thinking of movies uh, where I've seen the kids that are spoiled, mm-hmm. um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the little uh, English girl um, who is such a little brat. Mm-hmm. But I want a pony, and I mm-hmm. want it now. Right. Daddy, I want a pony. Like, she was just so um, insistent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Daddy had more money than he knew what to do with, and he was mm-hmm. constantly throwing money at his daughter. Right, but not love and affection. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's a very... Uh, that's I, sometimes parents who have the capacity financially to do that think that if you keep giving your kids things that they want, that they're going to feel loved. That's just not what happens. In fact, it probably works the other way because what they really want is you to spend time with them, hmm. hang out with them, show them love and affection. You know, and I mean, I see you know in the store all the time, kids want this, kids want that. You know, and the majority of parents say, "Not today. We can't do this today." And then there are some parents who really they just can't hold their position mm-hmm. you know and they're so worried about their child crying in public or whatever um that they give in all the time and it's consistent i mean sometimes you give in because you just oh my god i'm so tired here have the darn thing let's just get out of here you know right. but there's you know there are other parents i see who just absolutely never ever ever say no to their children and don't give them any boundaries or any sense of where they begin or where they end which is completely disempowering actually for a child like it seems like they're ruling the roost but they actually are very disempowered because mm. it's not the, the, their, their capacity to manage their world isn't really developing. It's just they're totally other directed towards approval or towards, um, I don't even know how to de- describe that. But it's, it's, it's not a, like they control certain aspects of their environment by being obnoxious. So, so then the, the, the word manipulation. It's not very scientific. <laughs> this is older children I'm talking about, not not little kids. Sure, I'm talking about older sure. children. But it, for it, sure. And, and at that point, uh, perhaps they do become aware and become um, more cognizant of being manipulative. 
Yeah, when they have the they have a, they need to have the cognitive capacity to think things through, to see how the other person is thinking about things, understanding the relationship between the, those two things, mm-hmm. to be able to stand understand the concept of manipulative. They also mis- may have just learned like when I say I want something, they always give it to me. I'm just going to do that because it works, and it's usually what they want is stuff. You know? Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's interesting when you say stuff. It just um the idea that came to my mind was uh, stuffing feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like um, an object, a toy or whatever the heck it is, is uh, something that will that'll keep me distracted and stuff the maybe the hurt mm-hmm. or the disappointment about mm-hmm. not being connected in some way mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with my parent. Yeah, hmm. no, for sure. And I think, again, if we, if we could just keep using the word connected instead of demanding and um, spoiled and manipulative and all that stuff just think about connection because that the bottom line that is what kids crave it's what they really 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 need and kids can grow up in you know quite severe poverty um and be loved like crazy and be attended to and a lot of you know those kids will come out okay it's harder it's much more of a struggle when you have when you're growing up in poverty for sure but if that relationship is there that connection is there that that child is is given skills and tools to be able to go out into the world. Um, so I don't know if I'm losing track of the whole spoiling the year, but that it's, um, if I go back to that wonder weeks book, one of the things that I find very interesting is, is the, um, the pediatrician or I can't remember if he's a pediatrician or a neuroscientist who, who interviews parents. Parents talk so much about how they feel they're, they're sort of their feeling of being betrayed by their baby when they when they start getting fussy or their, their baby shouldn't be like this anymore and the parent feels very powerless and they feel inadequate and they feel embarrassed and all it, these by their child's behavior because the child's going through a rough time and is it because the the parent would feel like they're not doing enough to um help or they or they feel helpless they, part help? of it is feeling helpless and part of it is that they've they have this message like their child, their baby should not be doing this. They should be better behaved. They should not be wanting them so much. They should not be wanting to be held. They should not be wanting comfort at this you know, point when they're eight months old or whatever. They should not need this anymore. And they're just, the parent's exhausted. And I don't, I mean, they say it's a wonderful book to read just to hear what parents are saying. I don't want to have to do this anymore. I can't stand this. I can't stand them wanting, wanting me to hold them all the time. Um, like he's really, parents were very, very real with him about their feelings. But if the if the parent has it in the back of their mind that this should not be happening because they've probably raised a spoiled child by responding to them, it makes them feel really badly when the child starts wanting them again so much and they need that connection again. Hmm. And sorry, the name of the book again? It's called The Wonder Weeks. Wonder Weeks. Wonder Weeks. It's quite wonderful. There's an app you can get. And put on your on your phone or your computer, and it, you plug in what week your child is at, and they say this is what's happening now. And whenever they go through major changes, they go through this. You know, Jay used to call it a period of disequilibrium, like everything gets thrown. Mm-hmm. It's like when we move to a new place, right? If you move to a sure. new city, you go through this whole period of adjustment, right? And you don't know where anything is anymore. Nothing's the same. You don't recognize the houses, like you don't know the streets. Very just, and then eventually you get settled in. Well, this is what it's like for children. For adults, too. We, you know, when we go through periods of intense change, we're kind of off kilter and we don't feel that good. And, you know, we often, we, it's when we went to call up our best friend and talk about what's happening. That's what's going on with babies. But 
we have a, a thing in our culture that babies should not need us as much as they need us. Well, let me just stop you there. As you say that the, the child is going through a period of intense change, the child isn't the only one who's actually growing in this relationship. Absolutely. Right. And I, w- I would think that um, if parents realized it's like, oh, uh, no wonder I feel so whatever about what's going on here because mm-hmm. I just moved to a new city mm-hmm. called Junior. <laughs> right. A new city called Junior. And, and, you know, the parents' relationship with their partner has changed utterly mm-hmm. and completely. Their whole identity has changed utterly and completely. So, I mean, that's a really good point that, that the whole experience of parenting is itself always thrown into disequilibrium. And I often say to parents that once you have it really figured out what works, your baby's going to change. <laughs> and it's, that's what happens. And then you get insecure again about yourself. Um, so, you know, we have to find ways as parents to say, okay, this is what's going on. I've just got to ride this one out, go with my baby. I'm a perfectly adequate parent. This is happening because it's developmental or whatever, or it's physical or it's something. Um, and I'm okay, mm-hmm. you know, and then you do they, you have these calms, you go, yes, it's okay. I'm a great parent. My kid's great. I love it. And then blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this big change happens again. And, um, you know, we've talked about in terms of kids, you know, starting school and that they just regress. So when kid, there's a new baby in the family, they regress and it's just sort of the nature of development. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the research is coming out. It's just, you know, one research after one research project after another, after another, after another about how important it is to be responsive to your baby in terms of their long-term health and well-being, and that the concept of spoiling is, is, is not only irrelevant, it's damaging. Hmm. Um, if you, if you take that into your early childhood, um, parenting and, um, it's, it's it's just I guess to focus on the fact that that babies really need you to be responsive to them, and that as they get older, you'll see you can wait a minute. Sometimes, sometimes you can't wait a minute. Sometimes they're desperate, and they really really need you. And that so is a three year old, and so is a six year old, and so is a twelve year old or a fifteen year old. You know, there's times they just really really need you, and for them to know that you are there for them in their time of need is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you if you use spoiling as your operative parenting approach you're not going to respond because you're going to feel you're doing something wrong and so that your baby or child learns that this is not really a safe place this attachment is as strong as it needs to be the connection is severed a lot because they turn away from me as opposed to turning towards me um you know and and it reflects the whole thing about spoiling i, I was just doing all this reading about the history of childhood which is quite depressing actually um and it's very culturally i mean i'm talking about western culture child rearing is does not have a great history and there's just a lot of abuse but there's also this split in western child rearing which has not changed and on the one side are you know um, approaches to childhood that today are characterized by by programs like baby wise which is you're on a schedule you don't give in you're the boss they're manipulating you you're in control um, you only let them feed this time and this time and this time you don't let them wake more than certain times a night you just don't go to them it's like you're the boss you're in control you say what's going to happen here to the attachment parenting contr- approach, which is all about loving and nurturing and responsiveness. And this is, if you go back in history, the split has been there forever. And, you know, if you look at, you know, look at politics, you know, it, it, that's, that's the split, right? There's a split between people who believe in taking a supportive, nurturing approach to problems, providing services for people who need them. And the other is, it's a tough world. People need to tough it out on their own. 
and it, it sort of goes in that direction. And I, and I, <laughs> um, so it's, you know, people have to think about what kind of people do they want to raise? What kind of world do we want to create? I mean, we're not, the, the way we are right now is not because of all the nurtured, loved, responded to children in the world. Um, our capacity for change and humane change is because more and more people are becoming more humane with their children. And this one article I was reading was about the change in child-rearing post-World War II in Germany and that there was a sea change and of how people were being told to raise their children. And they were really, and they probably do now, emphasize responsive parenting, lots of affection, lots of um, connection, and just totally other thing from shutting your kids out and don't ever respond and don't even talk to them. Um, so that there's been a change in... Um, Child rearing, not with everybody, but it's way more like the young generation of Germans growing up is not nearly as repressed and angry and messed up as they were during the Nazi era. And it really is huge. Just to, you know, just in terms of politics, if you think of what's going on with the refugee crisis now and Angela Merkel's stand on being compassionate, and not everybody agrees with her, but she's her public stance is we are a compassionate nation. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the 30s and the 40s, our, our, you know, their stance was we are a vicious, powerful, superior group of people, and we will conquer all. Very different. Yeah. Very different. And, and this article was saying how significant the childbearing has changed. Well, and, and again, it just, it just makes me think that that um, understanding the idea of a child asking for attention and being compassionate <coughs> and all that sort of stuff is... Uh, understood by the parent, but it also affects how the parent is actually in their own lives, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 if I'm constantly thinking of um, uh, putting the kid, you know, away mm-hmm. or uh, at a distance or repressing or, quote, spoiling mm-hmm. um, or not spoiling, I guess is the case maybe, you know, uh, being, being that uh, anti-compassionate, mm-hmm. uncompassionate, what's the word, um, person, um, that that would totally affect how I live my own life and am with myself. Totally. You know? It's not, a, it, it's not a fun way to live. No. And it's not a happy household. Like, you don't walk into a house that's running like that or a family that lives like that and go, wow, this is such a sweet, warm place to be. Mm-hmm. It's not. And it's not nice for the parent either. It's not a happy parenting if you always feel like your your, your child is demonic in some way or just trying to... <laughs> cause trouble or make you miserable. It's the last thing they want to do is make you miserable. Right. Um, but sometimes that's what they do to at least get you to pay attention to them. But yeah. at least there's some connection, even if it's damaging connection, at least it's connection. Right. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, it would be stress free, stress free all the way around. Well, stressless. <laughs> yeah. Stress. I mean, st- less stress, less stress, less stress, not stressless, but stress, less stress. I mean, parenting is stressful. There's no way around it. Cause just, what we were just talking about, like just when you have it figured out, they up and change on you, mm-hmm. right? Or, or things happen in your life. And so it's, it's, it's a very, 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 very hard work. But if you, if you go to that stance of really valuing yourself as a parent and how important you are in this child's life and how much you have to give this child in terms of them having a satisfying life, like really, it's, it's really actually very empowering um, to feel that and that you really have the capacity to bring joy mm-hmm. into their life and into your life. Mm-hmm. And why not choose joy over misery? Um, and for some people, it's really hard because if they've had a really repressive, painful childhood, being joyful is a struggle. And some people really struggle with that. You know, unfortunately, we have all kinds of 
therapies and programs and workshops and books and things we can do to change those sorts of things. But And uh, parent coaches. And parent coaches, right. You know, <laughs> and, and um, you know, just for parents to realize like, okay, I, I get uptight when my child cries because it brings back all these memories of me not being responded to and I have all this conflict inside of me. And um, Well, would, I, I would almost say that that's kind of a gift. You know, if, if that's how my child presented itself mm-hmm. um, and it brought up things for me, um, what a better way to, um, you know, I would be thankful in some way mm-hmm. just because that opportunity is there. It's like, oh, this crap is up for me. Thanks, Junior. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just going to go over here and deal with this mm-hmm. and figure mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. You know, a parent would actually take that as a, the, an opportunity for self-reflection and self-learning. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a huge opportunity. And, and you know, it's hard to get to that. I have to, it's not like, oh, this is so easy. I'll just have this feeling and I'll know what to do with it right away and <laughs> explore my childhood. Because everything is so in the moment with parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you just respond pretty impulsively and you respond often exactly the way you were parented. Um, you know, but then you can stop yourself and say, oops, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, but it is a, a tremendous opportunity for personal growth. You know, and, and um, yeah, as any challenge is. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I think that might be a good spot to, to leave it for the mm-hmm. day. My final message. Yeah. Don't let anybody dissuade you from responding to your children. Ever. <laughs> and if um, there was uh, any one thing that uh, somebody could take away as like a tool or a tip. Um, if they were, if they come across a situation today, what could they do? I mean, like if there's somebody's telling that they're spoiling their child. Yeah, it's summer. Grandma's here, and she's, you know, breathing down my neck about yeah, what it is yeah. I'm doing with my kids. You know, thank you so much for your perspective. I really appreciate that you care so much. I just feel really comfortable at how I'm doing my parenting. Well, I think that there's plenty of opportunity for people to uh, take this conversation further. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to see where the next podcast and next conversation is going to go. I'm here. If people have questions, I'd love to talk to them about it. Uh, good to talk to you today, Judy. Thanks. Likewise.